Welcome to this week's episode of The Space In Between. I'm your host, Blake Melnick, and this is the second last episode of Season 3 of the show. We're going to be taking a bit of a hiatus to recharge our batteries and prep for next season. But for this episode, I'm bringing back my old co-host, Cameron Brown, and we're going to be talking about what we're listening to, what we're watching, and what we're reading, so that you have something to do during those hot summer months, for what it's worth. Cam, great to have you back on the show. Great to be back. So let's begin with you. What are you listening to these days? Well, I've gotten kind of nostalgic in my old age here, Blake. 50 years ago, it was, you know, 1972. I got a hand-me-down turntable from one of my older siblings, and I started the joy of collecting music. So I went out and started buying records, using monies from paper routes, whatever I could scoff off my brother's desk when he wasn't looking and grabbed records and just started listening to records. Eventually I'd make tapes from them and make tapes for other people. But when you look back, 1972, Blake was such a phenomenal year for music. Neil Young released Harvest. Steely Dan released Can't Buy a Thrill. Little Feet came up with Sailing Shoes. The Eagles and Roxy Music released their first albums. Stevie Wonder did Talking Book. Elton John did I mean, the list is endless. So I've been going either on Spotify or Apple Tunes and just streaming down some of this music and just really enjoying the flashback and the memories it brings. Yeah, that was a great and seminal year for music, for sure. Anything in particular that stands out for you or stands the test of time? It's been a long time since 1972. Yeah, for sure. I would have to say that Little Feet Sailing Shoes, Joni Mitchell's For the Roses, Stevie Wonder's Talking Book, and I'd say Bowie's Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, for sure. Uh, even stands the test of time. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you play them for somebody who's a millennial now, and they'd like them as much as we did back in the day. All right. What was it about 1972 that precipitated all this great music being released? I think the 60s had not come and gone, but... Uh, I think a lot of the artists were not as much focused on protesting the Vietnam War. I think Watergate Nixon was on his way out. It was a time that artists could reflect on something other than protesting songs. And they got more personal. I know that after seeing a documentary on Elton John recently, they did Honky Chateau in this great big old place in France. The Stones did Exile Main Street. That's right. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing. They went into some big old place in France and took over this mansion and just recorded. So I think it was just a time where these bands could really reflect and not feel they had to make some statement. That Not that the protest movement was over, but it was winding down. When you look at some of the bands, that, again, Roxy Music and the Eagles that released their debuts, and of course they would have long careers ahead of them. It was a band that really one of my cousins was more into, but I remember spending the summer with a second cousin and he was, you've got to listen to this. You've got to listen to this. Just put the headphones on. I said, we're in the same room. We don't need headphones. Half dozen with headphones. It was Emerson, <laughs> like in Palmer trilogy. Right. Yeah. Now back then it was pretty cool. It's one thing. I don't know if it, it has stood the test of time. 
and it's a person who's recently been diagnosed with sleep apnea, I think if I pull that album down off Spotify or Apple or something like that, that probably could have saved me some money on a machine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, I've gone back and listened to some of that prog rock we used to listen to in the 70s. And some of it stands the test of time, but a lot of it, boy, I go, why did I like that? <laughs> exactly. I think you're safe if it's Pink Floyd. Anything else, you've got to really just raise your eyebrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should do a show about that. But I, there's some that still stand the test of time for me in that period. But one of the things, and it's funny, I was uh, at a show this past weekend, the Arkell show here, out here on the island. And one of the things that strikes me about concerts these days is they're kind of boring. Now, one of the things about the prog rock era that I did love was that the concerts, the shows were spectacles. They were all encompassing experiences visually and emotionally. And the bands always did a lot of really cool things to draw the audience in, to create that moment in time. I find shows nowadays are pretty much like playing the album. I could sit at home and listen to the record and get the same experience. I'm not seeing a lot of showmanship. I'm not seeing a lot of spectacle. There are a few exceptions, Peter Gabriel, Tom Waits. But again, not a lot of visuals, not a lot of storytelling. So yeah, I do find the concert experience kind of flat. You know, thinking back on some of the old concerts of yesteryear, seeing Yes and ELP and Jethro Tull, these were spectacle shows. Oh, they totally were. Yeah. I don't know if you remember or you went to the Super Tramp concert. I did. It, that was at the grandstand. And I remember at one point they were playing that song, Rudy's on a Train to Nowhere. Right. And the big screen behind them had you on a train. And yeah. you were whipping through all the different train stations. Right. Uh, uh, in England, right? It was just, it was amazing for anybody that was there. It was just fantastic. So yeah, they definitely need to bring some of that back. I don't want to go to a, a live show and hear the record. I want to go to a live show and see the musicians step outside their comfort zone, improvise, do things differently, play different songs, stretch themselves a little bit. I like that yeah. improvisation piece. I like to be surprised at a concert. I don't want to go and hear the song verbatim from the record. So 1972, you're listening to a lot of music from that period. For me, doing Past the Jam has been fantastic in terms of exposing me to artists I've never heard of before and new music. And I've obviously been listening to the artists on the show quite extensively. Heather Gemmel's new album, debut album, is absolutely fantastic. And Heather uh, was a finalist in the CBC Talent Search Contest. Kudos to her for that. But I love this record. She's such a great player. She's got a great voice. Very nuanced. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed that. It's heavily influenced by the blues, but also folk music. And I think she's a very talented songwriter. So I've enjoyed her record. Douglas Cameron, my recent guest on Past the Jam and his album Riverdale, which was released a number of years ago. I've really enjoyed this sort of old timey music. I really like it. It's very evocative of feelings and emotions for me from my own childhood. Fantastic musicianship, great variety. Having all these guests on the show, they've also talked about their own influences, and that has opened my eyes to some music I hadn't heard of before, and one band in particular is Lark and Poe. Rebecca and Megan Lovell are the two main players in the band, singer-songwriters, multi-instrumentalists, creating their own brand of roots rock and roll. It's gritty, it's soulful, it's flavored by their Southern heritage, they're originally from Atlanta and are living in Nashville and they're descendants of Edgar Allan Poe. 
Oh, amazing. Yeah. So pretty cool. And I must I, say, I'm a, I'm a big fan of theirs as well. Yeah. I'm just a fantastic band. They've kind of done it their way. They're not played on the radio a lot, but I would highly recommend people that love good rock and roll, blues with country influences to check them out. I have two records that I've downloaded, both of which I really like. The first one is called Peach, which was recorded in 2017, and the second, called Self-Made Man, recorded in 2020. I think they have a new record coming out as well. So I would highly recommend people listen to Lark and Poe. And then the other one for me, of course, is Little Feet. You mentioned Sailing Shoes, great album. Little Feet as having their 45th anniversary summer tour of Waiting for Columbus. I think perhaps one of the best live albums ever done, originally recorded in 1978. So 45 years, that's a long time. And they're touring this show across North America. I have tickets to see the show in Seattle on August 6th, and I'm really excited about that. They've gone through quite a change in personnel. Unfortunately, a number of the members have passed away. The great drummer Richie Hayward and Paul Barari, who just passed away during COVID. I hadn't realized he died. But they've managed to backfill with some pretty impressive people. They have uh, Scott Sherrard uh, now on guitar and vocals, replacing Paul. He was previously the guitarist and musical arranger, or director for the Greg Allman Band. And they have Tony Leone playing drums and mandolin. He worked closely with Levon Helm, Amy Helm, the band, Phil Lesh of the Grateful Dead. They've had some live simulcasts on Facebook. It sounds amazing. I'm really looking forward to seeing them. And they're re-releasing Waiting for Columbus as part of their tour. So that's exciting for me. I love Little Feet, my favorite band. So check one out Little mine, Feet. Yeah, one of mine as well. And the thing great about Little Feet is someone like Lowell George dies and they're able to continue and they've got this sort of ensemble feel about them. So when you're seeing Little Feet, you know that if someone's passed on, they're going to replace them with somebody amazing. Right. There's probably a lineup at the door. As soon as the obit published, you get every musician in from New York to L.A. calling their manager saying, can you get me on tour with Little Feet? They've had a reputation of being the band that everybody wants to play with. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, weren't they the backup band for Robert Palmer on one of his first albums, Sneaking Sally Through the Alley? Yeah, a couple of them were, for sure. They've always had a very strong career as session musicians playing on everybody else's album. And, of course, Bill Payne plays with the Doobie Brothers. Phenomenal keyboard player. One of the best I've ever heard. They've played with lots of people. Taj Mahal, they backed up his record, Dancing the Blues, another one of my favorites. Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt, yep. Lowell George was Bonnie Raitt's mentor, basically taught her how to play slide guitar. Oh, amazing. They have that ability because they're such good musicians, and they've managed over the years. Many people thought, well, once Lowell George passed away, that was the end of the band, but they reinvented themselves and brought in other people. Sean Murphy, who sang vocals for them for a long period of time, I thought she was terrific so yeah Mm. they've just managed to recreate themselves and continue to advance their sound and their music i'm super stoked about going to see that show and the other band which in connection with that is the opening band for little feet is hot tuna i wasn't all that familiar with hot tuna although i was very familiar with yorma cockadon who was one of the founders of jefferson airplane and jefferson starship and so having them accompanying the feet and i would imagine they'll probably play with them as well and there may be a few other special guests so i'm i'm really looking forward to this show i just think it's going to be fantastic That'll be the highlight of your summer, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. 
and I've ordered the new record that's going to be re-released from the tour. They're playing the entire Waiting for Columbus record. If you haven't heard Little Feet, go pick up the album Waiting for Columbus. Definitely. Now, you say you're seeing them in Seattle. Are there any plans or you heard anything about whether they're going to uh, do a Canadian tour? I have not heard any plans about that, and I suspect not. But as I say, I'm really looking forward to this show. Because Little Feet is a band that does not stick to the script when they play live. For sure. And I like that. They combine so many different kinds of music. You're absolutely right. Very very eclectic band. It's what makes them unique. You really can't pin them down. There's elements of that California rock scene, funk, folk, jazz, country, rockabilly, New Orleans, jazz, all stirred into this rich gumbo of music. uh, It really makes them quite unique. Let's shift over now to what you're watching. What are you watching these days? I've been watching this fantastic series. It's the second season's actually just started. It's on the Disney Channel here in Canada. It's called Only Murders in the Building. Yes. And it was created by Steve Martin, a great comic writer, and a friend of his, John Hoffman, who also did a series called Grace and Frankie, which I haven't seen, but I hear is it's very good. popular with Chief. Yep. Jane Fonda, Lily Tommy. Yeah, it's kind of a dramedy. It's it's a comedy drama. It's a thriller. These are three neighbors who all have a love of true crime. And when a mysterious death occurs in the building, these neighbors, played by Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, decide to get together and solve the crime. There's this mysterious death. And it leads them into doing a podcast about it. And it's absolutely hilarious. It's suspenseful. It's clever. Martin Short, I enjoyed on SCTV. I thought he was great, but he tops himself here. And for people that aren't a fan of Martin Short, uh, you're going to be swayed when you watch this. Selena Gomez, I just remember my nieces liking her as a singer. I didn't really realize she could act. I had no idea. She's great in it. And then the series also has a number of cameos. And supporting players, Nathan Lane's in there, Tina Fey. (laughs) Sting does a great self-parody. He's in a couple episodes. Yes, he is. As himself. Yeah, so uh, anybody out there that wants something really entertaining and very clever, I would recommend Only Murders in the Building. I read something that said it was loosely based on a true story. Is that your understanding? I've heard that, but I haven't had a chance to really fully investigate it. And uh, the thing I love about it, it's set in a building in the Upper West Side of New York. And the building reminds me of the Dakota, the big building where John Lennon lived. Right. And so you've got a lot of that New York feel to it. And I think it's great. If you want to get into a series that you can sink your teeth into, I definitely say only murders in the building. On Crave TV, there's a limited series called Julia, and it's all about Julia Child. Yeah, I've heard that's uh, very good. It is quite good. And it's still on, and I'm enjoying following that. What have you been watching? Well, I also have been watching Murders in the Building. I'm almost through the first season. And like you, I really enjoy it. I was not a huge Martin Short fan, but I think when you pair him with Steve Martin, it works beautifully. And Steve Martin is, to me... Just a genius. The subtlety of his humor, I found him quite hilarious. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of that. For me, something I watched recently just came out. It's called We Own This City. It's an American miniseries on the nonfiction book by the same name by Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton. 
and it was developed and written by George Pelicanos and David Simon. David Simon was the writer and producer of The Wire, who many, including myself, consider the best written television series of all time. So if you like The Wire, you're going to love this one. It's only a six-episode series, and it details the rise and fall of the Baltimore Police Department's Gun Trace Task Force and the corruption surrounding it. So it's a true story, and it centers on Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, one of the eight officers who were convicted on various corruption charges in 2018 and 2019, and it follows kind of a non-linear narrative with lots of flashbacks. But again, if you liked The Wire, you're going to love this. The writing is exceptional. It stars John Bernthal, if you remember him from The Walking Dead, and he played the Punisher. He's a great actor. Jamie Hector, who played Marlo Stanfield from The Wire. Josh Charles, who was in The Good Wife, and he was Knox Charles from the Dead Poets Society, if you remember him. Um, So what I love about David Simon is that he brings back a lot of the same characters that were in The Wire in different roles in We Own This City, but he also keeps a couple of them in play and has them further along in their career. So it's really neat to see some of these guys back again. And of course, The Wire launched the careers of so many great actors, Idris Elba and and others. This is really a great series. If you like that kind of thing, the writing is exceptional. Highly recommend it. The other one I really enjoyed is called Taboo. It's a BBC television drama produced by Scott Free London and Hardy Son and Baker. It stars Tom Hardy and his father, who is also a journalist and a screenwriter, helped contribute to the writing of this. An eight-episode series set in 1814 and centers on England and the United States. After the War of 1812, Tom Hardy plays the character of James Delaney, returning to England after a number of years in Africa with 14 stolen diamonds. His father has left him his business, a merchant marine company, a supply company, and he's also left him the deed to a piece of land, which happens to be Vancouver Island. The gateway to the East. The East Indian Company wants this land, the Americans want this land, and he uses this as a negotiation to get what he wants. It's pretty dark. It almost has a Jack the Ripper-like vibe to it. It's fairly mystical and magical with a lot of hoodoo, the African version of voodoo, going on. Hardy is such a great actor. Anyone that's seen the Marvel series knows that he played Venom. He made his debut in Ridley Scott's Black Hawk Down. He's played in Batman, a number of Christopher Nolan films. He's a great actor. Those of you that have been watching Peaky Blinders knows that he plays the character of Alfie Solomons. Jonathan Price is in it, who you might remember from the film Brazil, the villain in Tomorrow Never Dies and Pirates of the Caribbean. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, he's a stage actor. Tom Hollander, another English actor, absolutely fantastic. He was in Bohemian Rhapsody and Pirates of the Caribbean, Pride and Prejudice and Gosford Park. So great cast, great acting, and a really neat story. I'm looking forward to season two, The Voyage to the New World. So well worth the watch. And then the third one I have is called 
the Outer Range. It's kind of a combination of Westworld and Yellowstone. If you like Kevin Costner's Yellowstone, if you like Westworld, you'll probably like this. Starring Josh Brolin. He's played in The Goonies, Grindhouse, No Country for Old Men, American Gangster, Deadpool 2, and of course he played Thanos in Marvel's Cinematic Universe. It also stars Imogen Poots, an English actor. She played Tammy in the film 28 Weeks Later, Linda Keith in the Jimi Hendrix biopic. Great cast, really interesting. I don't know whether I love it yet, but it certainly got my attention. The story centers around a rancher and his family, the Abbots, who own a large ranch in Wyoming. One day, Royal Abbott, played by Brolin, discovers a big hole that mysteriously appears in a remote pasture on his ranch. The whole connects his time to a time in the past. But for Abbott and his adjacent neighbor and antagonist, Wayne Tillerson, played by the great actor Will Patton, coincidentally Jamie Dutton's biological father in Yellowstone, and I don't want to give too much away here, but this is not the first time the hole has appeared to both men. I really liked season one. It's a mystery, it's a modern western, and I'm really interested to see where it goes in season two. So those are my picks for what to watch over the summer. Let's shift over to what we're reading. What are you reading? Well, I just finished a really fascinating book. It's by the drummer of the Talking Heads. His name is Chris France, not like the country. It's F-R-A-N-T-Z or Z. It's not just about the, the start of the punk music, alternative music scene in New York, that brought us uh, the Ramones and Patti Smith. It's also about that time and how a lot of artists from the 60s evolved into who they were because of this era, the sort of mid to late 70s in New York. People like Lou Reed and Iggy Pop, and then later Blondie would come of it. But the interesting thing, too, about this book, Blake, is France met his wife, Tina Mouth, who is the bass player in the band. And they fell in love and are still together 45 years later. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's their relationship. It's the drama that can happen with any band that we like, the politics and stuff of it. And when it looked at one point that David Byrne, the lead singer-songwriter, was going to maybe start a solo career, they decided to do something solo. And they worked on a band called the Tom Tom Club, which had a big song called Genius of Love. And it's like a love story. It's also a great look at a time in New York where people like Lou Reed got their second start or second breath of life. And also they went and toured Europe with the Ramones. And I got to tell you, I think if anybody plays the Ramones, it would have to be all the sons of the Monty Python performers. Because <laughs> these guys are just, when you read this book, it becomes like, does Lauren Michaels know this exists? There's a movie in here somewhere. It was a really great read and really opened my eyes to how much we all have trauma in our families and different trauma at work. <laughs> Rock and roll bands don't have any less. I, not they have more. Probably right? more, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was a great read. May get you listening to some talking heads too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're a band I always liked, and they get lobbed in with with the, the punk movement, but they were never really punk. They no, were, they weren't. That's why I said they're alternative. They're, they they combine different genres. They would 
bring in African music and they would bring in folk and put it in with jazz. It's not just burning down the house. There's a lot of great stuff there. Oh, yeah. I didn't love them when they first uh, broke the scene, but I have grown to really appreciate them. And I do remember seeing them. I think it was the CNE. They might have been opening for the police uh, years ago, and they stole the show as far as I was concerned. They were really great. Yeah. So for me, I've been reading, as you have too, is Tom Locke's new book, Moments in Time, which I've loved. I'm loving that too. Got to do a plug for this on the show if you want a copy of it. There's a link on our Facebook site for what it's worth, the podcast series, and in the show notes for last week's episode, and I'll put them again in this week's episode. But this is a great book. It's a really easy read. As I mentioned in last week's episode, probably one of the best bathroom books of all time. How many bathroom yeah. books can you open it anywhere in the book, read a couple of pages, and then listen to some music? Really gets things going in the morning. That's what I love about it. It's great. <laughs> we both we both love our music. We grew up together. We both like to turn each other on to music, and that happens with friends and family. This book is amazing in the way that you open up a page, you read a couple pages about a song, and you're like, oh, that sounds great. You don't need to go and Google or or Spotify. You simply take the code that's in the book, put it to your phone or in my case, my iPad, and you listen to the song. Yeah. And it it turns you on to not only great music, but whatever that song or that artist was, maybe they wrote more. Maybe there's other stuff in it. It's a fantastic book. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really innovative approach. I gave a copy to my friend, Jack Ross, who's a well-known Canadian agent, and he loved it as well. He said, boy, that is really great. Hearing the history of the music, then listening to the song. As he said to me, I, I read a book and then I go, geez, I should go and find those songs that I'm you go on search online or go search through his music catalog to try to find the songs. And he said, this is great. It's immediate feedback. And he loved it as well. So that's the one book I have read, and the one I'm reading now, and I, I've started to read this book <laughs> probably three or four times, and I'm finally going to finish it this summer, and it's the book New York by Edward Rutherford, a book that chronicles the birth and growth of New York City, which is a place I love, from the arrival of the first Dutch and other European colonists in the 17th century to the summer of 2009. And he builds his novel on the histories of fictional families who live in New York and in Manhattan. These families represent the successive waves of immigrants who have made the city such a multicultural mosaic. It's a big book, but I love uh, historical fictions, all of the places that I know in New York and finding the roots of how they developed and who was involved in characters like Peter Stuyvesant, governor of New Amsterdam. And I have a lot of family history tied to that period as well. So it's a fascinating read. I'm looking forward to finishing the book. And is this a book that anybody can find? Oh, yeah. It was a bestseller. If you like things like Pillars of the Earth, which I loved, you'll love this. It's a great history on the beginnings of New York and the immigrant experience. That's my recommendation for what to read this summer. So I think we've covered a lot of ground here. We've given our listeners a lot to do during those hot summer months when they're not outside and need a little downtime. Lots of good things to watch, read, and to listen to. And we'll put all of these in the transcripts for the show so you can go back and check them out at your leisure. So this concludes this week's episode of The Space In Between, what we're listening to, what we're watching, and what we're reading. I'll be back again next week with the final episode of Season 3, a retrospective on what went on during this season and what you can expect in Season 4 of the show. For what it's worth. Long waiting 
So much is already gone All the love that gets lost in the fight I'm not sure it's worth going on High water and a cold 